Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. All right, so uh, pace according to the Spirit. Um, I think just starting this off, I think it's so, it's so interesting just to look at your human relationships and you know that like the most straining times in human relationships, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a, a friendship, whether it's with your kids, like life gets more tough in relationship when you're busy. Amen? Do you know what I mean? Like, like uh, is this just true of, of my marriage, Katie and I? Like marriage feels like it's most difficult when we are most strapped for time. And we just feel like we're missing each other and we're passing each other. And I think of like relationships, maybe when you're in college and you're trying to cultivate these friendships, but then you got finals coming up, you got jobs to get to. And it's just hard to build and to develop relationship when you're so busy all the time. Like I heard this great quote this week. No one really knows where it's from, but your kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And so mostly what they want, like maybe they, maybe they say they want toys, they want to play that game on, on the screen or whatever, but really what they want is they just want you to see them and they want to be with you. Like Haven's in this phase right now, she's two, she's running around her house and, house and everything she says right now is, look, dad, look, dad, dad, watch, dad, watch this, watch, dad, uh, dad, dad. And she's running and doing the same thing over and over and over again. All she wants to do is, dad, look, dad, watch this, dad, watch this. And what I notice is that the, the busier I am, the, the times that I have and I've worked to do at home or I have emails that I'm looking at or I'm just on my phone, I miss that kind of stuff. And I'm not watching as much as I want to watch. And so Katie and I, like we have, we have a weekly planning meeting. Any other husbands and wives in the room? Like we sit down on Sunday nights and we both get out the calendar. Like, oh, all right, babe, what do we got Monday night? Monday night, we got some friends coming over for dinner Tuesday night. Tuesday night, strap two, we got elders meeting. Elders meeting Wednesday night. Uh, you've got youth group Wednesday night. Thursday, you got worship practice this week. Friday, we're going to group. Uh, Saturday, nothing on Saturday. Oh, praise the Lord in his holy name. We get to sleep in on Saturday. Nothing going on. It's going to be amazing, right? This is like, this is the air we breathe. And this is the culture that we live in is that we're just so busy and yet we don't stop. We don't stop. We just keep staying busy. And even though we know it hinders our personal relationships, we also know intuitively then it hinders our relationship with the Lord. Because he's a person and it's a relationship. We need to cultivate time with him. And yet we prioritize all these other things on our calendars and we let that one fall by the wayside. But he's a person that we're supposed to be living with and interacting with and talking with, praying to. And if we're so busy doing other things, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. And so I'm wondering, the question I want you all to wonder with me this morning is, is there a way that we can cultivate a life where we're actually walking in a pace that's not only sustainable for the life we're living in. Some of you guys are living at a certain pace in your life that you're just going, can we do this for forever? Like, can we do this for much longer? Let alone, let alone ask yourself the question, can I actually thrive spiritually in the pace of life that I'm walking in? And so I have a story, just a couple quick verses that I want to jump into found in the book of Luke. So if you want to open up to Luke chapter five, we're going to look at just two quick verses, but let me kind of set some context as we jump into it here. Luke chapter five actually comes after Luke chapter four. So I don't know, just, it's a bad Bible joke. Okay. Just whatever. Luke chapter four uh, is the chapter where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and he's fasting for all this time. He's fasting for 40 days, right? And he comes out and, and, and he says in Luke chapter four that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So he was full of the Holy Spirit. And I just think of even if I can kind of 
pull that story and pull that context into where we're at as a church right now. Like we just got done doing a three-week fast in January. If you were with us in January, you probably participated in that in some ways. No, if you, if you weren't here in January, no, we didn't all just give up food for three weeks, all right? We're not crazy. Maybe, maybe somebody did. I would love to talk to you if you did. Um, but well, man, it's like a lot what Hank Terrell shared last week is that, man, we just, we did a Daniel fast. We laid aside sugar and meat or we laid aside social media or we did partial intermittent fasting. And what God met us in was, I loved what he shared last week. Like my life's pretty easy. Uh, didn't you love that? Like I don't do hard stuff. And so to go without meat, go without sugar for three weeks. And what, what happened? He said it was just, it was, it was simple and it was profound at the same time. God, God met him in his Bible like, ever, like never before. Like the word was coming alive to him as a 14-year-old testifying with you all. The Bible was coming alive to him in a new way. And it wasn't just that the Bible was coming alive to him, but it's that he was just praying more. I'd just get hungry and I'd think of people and I'd pray for them. It's so easy. And yet like, okay, so how many of you didn't share that same story, but you had some sort of similar experience? Can I just see your hands if that was you? Okay, so praise God. Like here's the temptation though. Here's what the drift, maybe not so much a temptation, but it's that we'll just go back to normal here and not that long. The drift that's prone to set into our life is that we'll just get back going with this pace of life and everything will just go back to normal. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's sent now into ministry and he's starting to do things and he's starting to heal people and he's starting to do the work of what you think of when you think of Jesus bringing in, ushering in the kingdom of God. And then it says this in Luke chapter five, verse 15. It says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad. He was gaining popularity. The story of what he was doing, people were starting to take notice. He was starting to gather a crowd. The crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And so what's, they're, they're coming. They're coming with either like a, a physical sickness. They're coming with a mental sickness. And they're coming to him longing to be healed. There was ministry to be done. There was work to be done. If I could put this in the context of 2020, like, like there, were, there were people that needed his time. There were emails that needed to be sent. There were things that needed to happen, jobs that needed to be finished, widgets that had to get out the door. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Sometimes I think this is counter of how we view Jesus, where Jesus was just constantly available, constantly, constantly like involved in people's lives, constantly working, constantly doing different things. But there are times, it seems, in Scripture where Jesus sees the priority to be in the presence of God as greater than being the presence of people. Even people who needed him. These people were desperate for him. They were longing to be healed. And yet he would retreat to go and pray. So he had this pace of life. He had this way of life that he was living where he was not just seeking time to go be alone and spend time with the Father, although we see that, but he was also, it seems like he was always interruptible. I was reading just through the Gospel of Matthew this week, and I would encourage you, just skim through any one of your Gospels, and you'll notice that Jesus was never just sitting around on a Saturday with the day off, twiddling his thumbs, and that's when people came to him for him to work and to do ministry. Jesus was always going somewhere. He was always in the middle of doing something. He was going through this city. They were on their way too, and he was interrupted by people. And so it's not just a question of like, are you prioritizing this time in prayer? But it's also, are you interruptible throughout your day? That's what we'll look at too. Like if people come up to you, like the disciples even kind of get in the way sometimes. Have you noticed that? Where people will come up and they'll be like, Jesus, Jesus, please, like I need you. And the disciples are like, dude, hey, we're like, we're going somewhere. Like, hey, you, hold off. And Jesus is like, no, hold on. Let me talk to him. 
It seems like they were always in the middle of something when they got interrupted for ministry. And like, so like is, that, is that us? Is that the pace of our life, yours and my life? There's a few, like, there's a few quotes on busyness that I just love and I would love to share with you real quick. Um, Dallas Willard says this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Dallas Willard is a theologian, and, and this phrase has been more popularized by a, a current pastor, John Mark Homer, um, who's written the book, the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I would definitely recommend that book to you. Um, it's been really helpful, not just for this message, but for this whole series. Uh, but that phrase, hurry, is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. There's a lot of other things we'd rather put as that first word. We'd rather put uh, government overreach. How about we start with that one? Government overreach and infringement on our liberties is the great enemy of my spiritual walk today. We'd love, we'd love if that was the case. We'd love to say the, the deconstruction of the family unit is the great enemy of spiritual life today in our families and our kids. We'd love to say the sexual perversion of our culture is the great enemy of our spiritual life today. We'd love to put so many other things into that first word, but he hits on something here. Willard hits on something and he says, it's hurry, it's busyness. And I think part of the reason is, is because it's one of the things that the culture does that the church gets so swept up into. And so here's a couple other quotes for you. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, famous, uh, famous World War II figure, helped rescue people, Jews out of, out of Nazi Germany and was herself put into a concentration camp. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. So I don't know how you picture the devil, but I think we always think he's going to try and tempt us just to worship him or like make us Satanists, make us do all these grossly perverted things, these terrible things. Not always. And the devil would love for you to just worship anything other than God. And the easiest one for him to get you on is yourself. And so he'd like for you to worship yourself. He'd love for you to worship your own calendar, my time, me time. Right? And he would love, he'd love, if he can't get you to sin, if he can't get you into some of this other behavior, he'd love to just keep you busy. I believe that that's true. Next quote is not from a Christian at all. Carl Jung, uh, psychologist. Hurry isn't of the devil. Hurry is the devil. This guy's not even a Christian. He's saying he's calling it out like it is. Hurry's not just of the devil. It's not something the devil does. It's who he is. It's what he's doing. It's what he's doing in all of us. And we know these things. This is my point. We know it's true. And yet we keep finding ourselves so busy. Why? There's a few reasons. I think the first reason is because of pride. Pride. Busy makes us feel important. As I was like doing some research for uh, looking at how Americans spend their time, uh, I found a study of the average like developed nations and how much time we spent working in each nation. And so like right away, I noticed America's at the top of my list. And just to like prove the point that I'm about to make, as soon as I saw that, I was like, this right, we're at the top of the list. You know what I mean? It's like, of course we work hard, you know? I saw that and I was pumped. And then I looked down and, and France, the average Frenchman works on average 400 hours less per year than the average American. And when I saw that, I was like, of course that's true. French, French, they can't finish anything. Americans are always finishing things at the French start. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, those French people that take, that's, that's 10 40-hour weeks less that they work per year. And listen, I'm not saying that's better, okay? I'm just, like, they probably spend their time wasting it somewhere else. We just spend it at work. We get things done in America, right? And that's the mantra. Do more with less. It's this corporate mentality that we have where we love to work and we love to take work home on the weekends. I have all these different facts about work. I'm only going to share a few of them with you. Um, but Americans in 2018 left 768 paid vacation hours on the table. 768 million paid vacation days that we just left on the table in 2018. 
right? Brady Boyd has this great quote in his book, Addicted to Busy. If this is something like, listen, I, I said at the beginning of this, this is something I struggle with myself. Like I've, God's definitely brought me out of it. He's kind of showed me some healthier ways to live out some rhythms in my life. But I, like, I love to work. I love to get things done. And, and what he says in his book, I would, again, addicted to busy. I would check it out if you're kind of in that camp and you struggle with that as well. He says, if your business or workplace can't operate without you for a week, then your job belongs to you and not to God. Right? Like it's convicting. If you can't disappear for a week, then it's more about what you can do. It's not about what God can do through you. Forbes estimates that the average office employee receives 121 emails per day. A 2018 Pew Research study found that 60% of respondents are saying that they are too busy to enjoy their life. And if you're a parent, that number went all the way up to 74%. 74% of the parents, three out of four parents in this room are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm too busy with the stuff that I have to do to enjoy my life. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy because we feel important when we have a lot of things to do. It, we have this pride, this, this thing where we say, it depends on me. If I don't show up, who will show up? I got to get this thing done. My, like we don't, our culture doesn't celebrate the like high schooler who's sitting at home alone without friends on a Friday night. The, like our culture celebrates the people with things to do, places to go, people to see. Those are the important people with the full calendars. Although right now, like I would just love to see, anyone, other parents right now, you just like see a weekend with no plans and you're like, oh, praise Praise the Lord. <laughs> it sounds amazing, right? But we, we can get in this pride because busy makes us feel important. The other reason I think we stay busy is because of fear. I think we try and use our calendar to hide ourselves from who we really are. So, so kind of walk with me now through this point for a second, because I think in, in uh, March, April last year, right, we all went to, you know, nobody went anywhere. Nobody did anything. We all just went home for a little bit, Right. And in that time, I'm not saying there weren't stressful things happening in the world around us. Like I know there, there was a pandemic going on. There was some economic uncertainty. There was racial tension that was building in our country, uh, political tension that was building in our country because it was an election year. But part of what happened in March and April of last year is there were marriages that started to have struggles. There were parents that started to have issues with their kids, kids that started having issues with their parents. It went both ways. And part of that was beca not because of all the stressful things happening around us, but because we'd been using the calendar for far too long to medicate from the problems that we knew we had. And, and rather than just kind of face the fact that there's some dicey stuff going on with our marriage and maybe reaching out and getting in some community for some help or, or going to a therapist, going to a counselor and getting some help, we just use the busyness of the calendar to hide. Because you know, you know what will really help that, that kind of feeling of insecurity as a dad? is if you just, if, it won't help for forever, but if I just take a work call for an hour on a Saturday afternoon and I'm just like, okay, hold on, I'm important. I have this thing that I need to do. Kids, hold on one sec. Like I won't take that feeling away for forever, but it'll help for a sec. I can soothe and I can medicate the issues that I'm having in my marriage, in my relationships by just staying a little bit busier. And so we use it to hide. We use busyness to hide. The third reason I think is because we're just flat distracted. We're just plain distracted. And so maybe, maybe you don't struggle with pride. Maybe you don't struggle with fear. But like we're all caught in this world that runs on uh, attention economics. That phrase was developed by American economist, economist Herbert Simon. He was an American economist, not a French economist, because he was working, right? He developed this <laughs> phrase. And uh, I'm, if you're French, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, so you be. <laughs> amen. <laughs> you said that one, though, not me. <laughs> um, this, this phrase of attention economics, basically the concept, what it means is that, that uh, with the inception of the digital age, 
and, and information uh, started, to, started to proliferate everywhere, the, the thing that became most valuable and most coveted from all companies everywhere was your attention. So now all of a sudden, that's the most limited resource that there is. And so they're all fighting for your attention because you could pay attention to anything. And there's everything that you could pay attention to. And so there's just constantly, every company that's in the digital space somewhere is fighting and clamoring for your attention. And we feel this, right? We know this. Like, that's why you start talking about a vacation with your wife sometime. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's all, there's all these like flight deals on Instagram right now. And I know it's all the social dilemma. I have not seen that movie. Don't recommend it to me. Okay. I'm just, I'm a little afraid to watch it if I can be totally honest, because I know it's true. I thought that point would land. It really didn't. Okay. Anyways, so, um, anyways, we're so busy. We're so distracted. A few facts about that. Um, there's this time well spent concept that uh, big data came up with a couple years ago, Google and Apple. And the time well spent concept was in reaction to all these psychologists and sociologists that were all of a sudden noticing that the amount of time that we're spending on our screens is killing us as a society. And so Apple and Google kind of got together. They made this time well spent concept where now they start giving you feedback on your screen time, right? So if, if you're an Apple user, you're an Android user. I don't know what you're doing, like, but on my iPhone, what I get every, every Sunday right before I come up to preach is I get this screen time notification, right? You average X amount of screen time per week. And you can set all sorts of different parameters and guidelines in that so you can see and really drill down on how you're using your phones. But the data is starting to come in on that time well spent concept. And what they're finding is they're putting this information in front of us. They're giving us the feedback and we're changing nothing. So you get up, I pop up before I'm preaching. I see you on my phone. I've, you spent four hours and 30 minutes on your phone every day this week. And I'm just like, dang. Anyways, okay, keep on moving. <laughs> this time was, it's not, it's not, the feedback is being delivered, but we're not changing our behavior. Um, we check our phone roughly as Americans once every 12 minutes a day. Um, I'm sorry, once every 12 minutes or 80 times per day. Um, social media, I know I kind of, bang the drum of social media all the time, but the average American is spending two and a half hours on social media every day. If you're a teenager in the room, studies are finding you're spending about seven hours on devices for entertainment per day. It's not for school, it's for entertainment. And before you all think it's just the young kids' fault, baby boomers are spending about six hours per day on live or recorded television. There's a, there was a report uh, that's put out by Nielsen, the total audience report. This is from 2018, so it'd be interesting to see how COVID and how shutdowns kind of impacted this number. But they found that the average American consumes nearly 11 hours of media content per day. Whether it's print, whether it's digital, whether you're listening to it, whether you're reading it, about 11 hours of media that we are taking in per day. We're distracted. We're distracted. So we're not even staying busy just with work. We're not even staying busy just with the laundry that never seems to end because laundry never ends. <laughs> Amen, some mom somewhere, right? But, but we're also just busy with all sorts of different stuff that we're just, just grabbing our time. We're distracted. We're distracted. We're filling our time with all sorts of different stuff. And so what's, what's the remedy? The remedy, uh, I'm not advocating for you to just get everything off the calendar and to do nothing. That would, I can almost feel that, that would be the, the, the knee-jerk reaction to a message like this where you're just like, we just need to cancel everything. I need to quit my job. We need to downsize our And like maybe, maybe the Spirit of God is going to lead you to do some of that stuff. But I'm not, what I'm not advocating for here is for us to be idle. I-D-L-E. Doing nothing. 
spending time, significant amount of time, like without things to do. The Bible is going to have nothing to say about being idle, especially for a season of your life. Uh, I love this part of King David's story in 2 Samuel. Um, it says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David was a king. It was the springtime. He should have been going out to battle, but instead he sent Joab. And so instead, David stays home. David stays idle. He doesn't do what was expected of him to do in that season. He didn't go to work. He didn't start punching in the clock. He stayed home. What happened? Significant moral failure. He got himself in trouble, right? And so the Bible is not going to speak of idleness well. I, I was, I'm just kind of struck by, Katie and I have been reading through um, just a little bit of the New Testament. We've been second, I'm sorry, Second Thessalonians. We read this uh, not too long ago. Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Paul writing, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. What's he, what he's talking about there, Paul, Paul was bivocational. He was in ministry, but he was also making tents. And so he was working hard to make sure the churches that he was encouraging and building up and, and leading, that those churches didn't have to pay him. And so he's, he's doing both things. And he's like, listen, I've given you this blueprint. Stay away from people who are walking in idleness and not doing anything. He says it, I think, even more strongly in, in 1 Timothy. He writes this to encourage Tim, Timothy. He says, if anyone doesn't provide for his family, he has denied the, the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You think like the Bible's not going to speak well of us doing nothing. That's not the call. The call, the call, just as much as in this message, is to call out sort of our tendency to be busy and to waste time on different things, is also to go, but we're not aiming to do nothing. And you, when, you, when you look at Jesus' life and you look at the things that Jesus did, he, he wasn't idle, didn't seem for long. Like he was, as he was growing, he was studying. We have a lot of his life that we don't know much about, right? But he was, he was growing in wisdom and stature. He was developing as a person. He was learning all this stuff. And then he was doing ministry. And so he wasn't idle, but he wasn't also on this insane hamster wheel where he wasn't available. He was always intentional with his time. And that's what we're after. What we're after is living our life with intentionality spending our time uh, in, a, in a calculated way, like understanding where the time is going. And I think this is captured best in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the way that Eugene Peterson rewrites this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. I love that phrase right there. Walk with me, work with me. I'll show you how to do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If you've been around church for a little while, you understand this concept of the yoke. It would be for an instrument that would bind two animals together so that together they could move a plow or to plow a field. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you need to yoke yourself with me. And that will be the way that you actually live your life in this place of rest. Not, not, you can't be just yoked to your job. You can't just be yoked to your spouse. You can't just be yoked to the demands of your kids. Yoke yourself to me. And I will help you cultivate any land that we, put, that we set out in together. 
That's, that's what Jesus is after. And so, like, I have this sentence that I wrote down, that the, the most exhausting way to follow Christ is to make Christianity an add-on to your current life. So you will always hinder spiritual growth if you make Christianity an add-on, just something else to do, another thing to put on the calendar. Now we got to make sure we're getting to church. Now we got to make, he told us about community last week. Now we got to get in community. If you make Christianity something that you're trying to add on to the life that you're already living, you're missing it. You're doing it backwards. You need to see Christianity is not just something you do. It's someone now that you are. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm an apprentice of his. I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to work the way he works and I'm going to follow his lead. That's the way that we're called now to build out our life. And if you try and keep your previous way of life and you try and add Christ onto that, you're going to be exhausted. The way that he's saying is he's saying, no, 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 get, get yoked together with me. Like lay your life down, follow after me. Like, I love his words. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses, loses his soul? Right? You got the way to life is by laying your life down so that you might find it in him. And he, you might work really hard. You might, you might be like the most awesome business dude in this whole place. But if your work is all for you, and it's not something that the Lord's calling you into, man, you're missing it. Because busyness can rob us of our soul. Like it can, it can take these things from, it can take this abundant life that Jesus has called us to walk into. And so our goal is to yoke ourselves with Jesus, follow after him, do life with him. And I love that phrase, the unforced rhythms of grace. I love the way John Mark Comer mentions this. I, I mentioned him in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you, if you, want, to, if you want to experience the life that he has to offer you, you have to live your life the way that he was living it. Follow after him. Follow after him. We're disciples, which means we're, we're learners. We're apprenticing under him. We're doing life the way that he would lead us to do our life. So there's a few questions I think you can ask yourself to kind of do a little soul check, a little heart check this morning. And so the four questions, the first one I think is you just got to ask yourself, how's your soul? Husbands, it's Valentine's Day. If I could just give you a free gift today, I would lock your kids away in a room somewhere and just sit your wife down on the couch before anything else is going to happen for the rest of the night. And you would just say, hey, babe, how's your soul? How's your heart? Do you ever just have somebody check in on you like that? Where they just go, man, how are you doing? I remember Pastor Rob, when he was the executive pastor here, he had this way of sitting us down in his office. We had weekly one-on-ones, right? And he'd check in on our goals for the semester and he'd ask us how we're doing. And, and he had this way, of, like he'd sit across the desk from him and he'd just be like, Austin, how you doing? And you'd just be like, oh, Rob, like, dude, oh, dude, like, listen, and you just like start pouring your heart out with him. You know what I mean? Just this way that he was so approachable. But I just like, do you ever ask yourself, do you ever have anyone ask you, how's your soul? How's your heart doing? Like, is the thought of another week just killing you right now? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you feeling pretty good? Are you distracted right now? Like we got we to gotta have the, 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 the discipline to ask ourselves these questions a little bit. Like, am I, am I living my life at a clip that I can't sustain? Is it time to maybe make some changes? The other question I think that we can ask ourselves is where's your time going? It's, it's shocking. I think we ask ourselves this question vaguely all the time, right? Anyone else just like, it's February 14th. Where'd the time go? What happened? How did we already get here? We've already been doing COVID stuff for almost a year. Like what happened there? Where'd the time go? But do you ever actually sit down and intentionally go, no, where is my time going? And you, and you, you block out a day. 
You, you say, okay, here, here's kind of what's happening throughout a normal day. Here's what's happening throughout a normal week. A normal month has these kind of things going on. Do you ever sit down and do that? I think this would be an amazing thing to do in community, get across the coffee table from somebody, because I, I can't tell you where you should be spending all of your time. I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. I, I, cannot, I cannot tell you, well, you need this much time on social media, you need this much time on, because those things aren't bad things. But what you need to do is you need to go, all right, like you need to get a friend who's willing to say, I can't tell you how much is specifically what you should be doing, but you need someone in your life who can say, that's too much of that. You're spending too much time on Netflix, dude. Like, like Hulu ain't getting it for you. This is one of the things, like just personally for me on the fast, like I feel like God gently, lovingly, kind of hurtfully revealed to me was like, I have this, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys think like this. I, I've got a, I've got a picture of what I want to be like as a man, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, when I'm 40, right? Like I, I just, I got a few things on that list where I'm just like, yeah, this is the kind of, this is the kind of dude I want to be when I'm 40. And I feel like God just showed me, dude, the way you're spending your time right now, it's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not this sinful stuff, but it's not going to get you there. And I feel like he's given me a vision for what my life could look like. And that, that's going to be met with me actually doing things that are leading to fruitfulness in my life, spending my, my time intentionally as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, that is going to lead me to where I actually want to go. It's going to take intentionality. It's not going to just happen by default. You need to ask yourself at some point, where's my time going? You realize how much time you're spending on social media every day? You realize how much time you're spending listening to the news, listening to different podcasts? We need to ask ourselves, where is my time going? The third question I think we can ask is, what do you do when you're bored? This is a great, painful little question. You ever bored? I think, I think like, as much as I was kind of bashing on being idle, I think idleness for a season is almost always bad. But I think small moments of boredom throughout your day are ripe for profound like, things for the Holy Spirit to do. Like where you're just a little interruptible, you show up to a meeting early and you just, instead of pulling out your phone, getting on Instagram right away. Like when you have a spare 10 minutes, what, what's your go-to? What's your go-to? Or do you ever just look at the people in the room with you, talk with somebody, start a conversation, open up your Bible app, listen to a worship song? Do you ever like, do you ever take small moments of boredom, just recalibrate your heart towards what God would do with your day? Right? I think where we turn to in boredom maybe reveals some of the things that we could maybe pare back on a little bit. The last question and probably the worst one of them all. How do you detach from the chaos of life? Um, Katie and I went through a season of life where we were really, really busy. Uh, we fostered some kids for about a year. And uh, at the tail end of that, we scheduled a vacation. We were like we, like, we knew the time was coming to an end. We'd had a house with a whole bunch of kids in it. And we were like, man, we're just taking our kids and we're kind of recalibrating. We're going to go on this vacation. So we went to Disneyland for a day. Any parents in the room gone to Disneyland for a day? most exhausting day of my entire life. Amen. Like that was, I like crawled into bed that night. It was like, oh, sweet Lord, just like take me now. Like it was the most tiring day. It was the most fun day. And I'm not, I'm not saying that vacations are a bad thing. I just think one of the things Brady Boyd says in his book too, on Addicted to Busy, vacations are for restoring relationships with people that you love, but they're not rest. They're not rest. Rest is found in partnering with Jesus in the life that he's given you to live vacations, if you're constantly just waiting to detach from the chaos of your life, waiting for that next vacation, you have that next thing coming on the horizon. I'm just telling you, it's not going to refresh your soul. It might help your relationship with your family and that's good, but it's not going to give you rest where you need it 
most. Rest is found in the satisfaction of knowing, God, you used me today. I listened to you. I heard you speak. I did the things that you asked me to do. And now I can go to bed at night with peace in my heart. How do you detach from the chaos of life? There's two practical steps that I have for rest. This is where I think we take steps to get a little more practical. Because again, we all know this. I'm not giving you anything new. You walked in here and I said, we're busy. And you're like, yup. Last week I said, get in community. And I'm, I'm not prophetic when I'm saying this, but I bet some of you left last week and you're like, man, community would be awesome if we had any time for it. Right? That's just the world we're living in. So how do we take practical steps to rest? The first thing is that you need is spaces to retreat. Jesus found himself with work to do, people who needed him, people who were waiting on him, people who were desperate, and he went up the mountain to pray. He had spaces to retreat. Now look, if you're the kind of person that you love getting on a hike and you love getting away and you have the capacity to do that with the life you're living right now, awesome, praise God. A lot of us don't. If I'm taking every Saturday uh, to just say, hey, honey, I just need some time with the Lord. And I just take every Saturday to dip and go hike on a mountain somewhere. Like I'm not, I'm not faithfully stewarding what God's given to me. And so practically what I think this looks like for a lot of us, like moms, stay at home moms in the room, like you need a part, part of your day where you just lock yourself in your bathroom and the kids are gonna come banging on that door in about four minutes. And you take those four minutes and you just recalibrate your heart and you say, God, thank you for giving me these kids. God, help, help me. Help me be the mom. Help me be the wife. Help me, help me be in this home who you've called me to be, right? If you're, if you're in the office all day and you got, man, I'm working 10, 12 hour days, whatever it looks like, if you're in the office today, you have three minutes in your day that you can retreat from everything that's going on. And you can just close that office door, lay your hands on the, on the desk, say, God, my work is never gonna end. Like I have things that I could always be doing, but you are infinite. You are more powerful. Would you just take the things that I can't finish? Right? We need spaces in our day. Take the long way to work. Like maybe for some of you, your commute looks like going from your bedroom to your den right now in this weird season of life that we're living in. Take a walk. Take a walk around your neighborhood. Find some space where you can get silent for a little bit. Hear how uncomfortable we are with silence? Isn't it crazy? Like, but in those moments of silence, I think it's just ripe for God to speak to us, for him to encourage us, for him to show us a problem that we can maybe get involved in. Like we need spaces to retreat from our day. The other thing that we need is we need rhythms to practice. So go ahead and throw up these rhythms. These are the seven core rhythms of walking according to the Spirit, best as I could tell from Scripture. And you might look at that list and you might go, hey, wait, we fasted. We talked about doing a quiet time. We talked about community. We talking about silence and solitude. I'll just say, yeah, there it is. If we want to live a life where we're cultivating the Spirit's work in us, then we need practices, rhythms that we're walking out in our day to reflect the value statement that Jesus is my everything. Does he ever show up then on your calendar? So we, we, we've done some time to fast and hopefully that'll continue for you. We're going to do Wednesdays without in the coming months. You'll hear more about it. Hopefully you will fast. Hopefully you're making time to read your Bible every day, going back off of Shua's message a couple weeks ago. Hopefully you're prioritizing community on your calendar, getting people in your life that you can just be open and honest and sit down across a table with. We talk, we, silence and solitude. This is getting, it, getting some space in your day where you can retreat from the chaos of your day and you can just recalibrate, reorient your heart onto the Lord. Sabbath. I love, I love the conversation of weekly Sabbath. 
taking a day. And the point of that day is just, it's not, not work. That's not the main point of Sabbath. The point of Sabbath is engaging and connecting with Jesus. And so for some of you, you're, you're on your feet all day. Your job's super physically demanding. It's taxing. It's hard. Man, just sit on your couch for a half an hour and just be and pray and read scripture and just sit in the presence of the Lord. Now, some of you are like at an office job and you're, and you're stuck at your desk. Uh, one of the things that was like the average uh, worker over the age of 45 spends about 12 hours sedentary at this point. The average office employee. We're spending 12 hours a day-ish sitting. So man, if that's you, I think a good way to do your Sabbath is like make it a day for some physical exercise. Go for a walk. Listen to some worship music. Pray. There's ways that you can engage with these practices that doesn't have to look what, like exactly what everybody else is doing. And there's ways that can be life-giving to you. So we Sabbath, simple living we're talking about next week. The art of kind of living with enough margin in my resources, my finances, so that I can be open to what the Holy Spirit would lead me to do. We're talking about that next week, but I think even it applies to this week because if you're not living with simplicity in your life, then you're probably spending a ton of time thinking about the next sale, the next thing that you're going to buy, the next subdivision we're going to move to. Man, how many of you just spend time on Zillow? Like you're like, this dude's always talking about how much time I spend on social media. For me, it's realtor.com. Oh, it's just house shopping everywhere. Not even looking for a house. We just find ourselves looking at all the houses in the neighborhood. Simple living, what that will do is it won't just declutter your finances. It'll actually declutter your mind so that you can say, wait, okay, let me focus on the things that are most important. Prayer. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but hopefully what your prayer life looks like is not just you in a hurried way, rushed way, just listing off, rattling all of your requests to God. But you actually stop and you take time and you go, God, is there anything you want to speak to me today? Just like that word that we had from Sharon earlier where it feels like maybe someone has fear going on. Do you have that kind of space in your calendar, in your day to just listen to the Lord? God, would you just have, do you have anything to speak to me? Do you have anything for me to speak to one of my coworkers today? We have to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, as Eugene Peterson says. And I think this is, this is easy to preach on. It's hard to live out. And so let's stand, let's pray, and let's ask God to help us live it. God, we do just ask that you would help us not look at our calendar when we go home today, but would we look at the calendar that you've given us and would we say this belongs to you? Time belongs to you, Lord. Teach us to number our days as the psalmist writes. Teach us to, to look with intentionality of the, the time that you've allotted to us that we might gain wisdom, that we might use and prioritize our time well in a healthy way, in a way that's cultivating a spiritual walk, not one that's hindering it. And so, God, I just ask you, we're all probably going to go and maybe have conversations. We're going to look at our calendar. We're going to talk to people about how we're spending our time. Would you meet us in it with grace? But we, would you meet us in it with a sense of expectancy that you're going to do something ripe through your Holy Spirit, through the time that we're going to surrender to you? God, we're yours, and we want to be people who are after the things that you're after in this world, and that's only going to happen if we lay our calendars at your feet, lay our days at your feet, lay our moments and our errands at your feet. So we give it to you, Jesus. Pray that your Holy Spirit would help us keep them there now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.